Hey guys, Cade Wilcox here, host of the Primitive Podcast. On today's episode, we have Ginger Nelson. Um, this is uh, a, an episode we recorded um, back in February, but I wanted to resurface it here. Um, you know, Ginger uh, has been leading the city of Amarillo through really trying times with COVID-19 uh, because of a lot of the meatpacking plants and things of that nature. They've, you know, really experienced COVID-19 in an entirely different way than, than many of us have. And uh, in addition to, you know, battling cancer, she hasn't missed a beat. And she's provided exceptional leadership, very steady at the helm. And uh, Amarillo is really lucky to have her as their mayor. And, and we're lucky as a region to have her leading such a significant community as Amarillo. Um, and so I wanted to resurface this episode and take the opportunity to really learn from her again. Um, and also uh, just as a small way of honoring her, her very healthy and, and very good leadership. So enjoy. really appreciate you being here. I've gotten to know you just a little bit. Uh, a, a few years ago now, you came to a young professional event with Drayton, and that was phenomenal. Uh, no offense to Mr. Pope, but it worked out great that he was out of town and, and you got to host that young professional event. For oh, us. Dan knows I'm a better mayor than he is. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see how he feels about that. But for those, those, of, uh, for those listening who don't know much about you, you're the mayor of Amarillo, you live in Amarillo, why don't you just share your story and, and your background and how you got to Amarillo and how you ended up mayor and what that's like and all that good stuff. Sure. Uh, well, I grew up in the Panhandle in Spearman, and uh, one of my claims to fame that I love to tell the story about is that my husband and I don't remember meeting. We've always <laughs> yeah, known each other. Mean, yes. And so we were both um, had the privilege of growing up in Spearman, truly just a quintessential small town growing yeah. up. Both of our parents were involved in the ag industry. Um, my dad was also in oil and gas and our moms had retail stores. And so we just got to see them That's juggle cool. everything. Um, and they, they were good at lots of things, but living small town, you, if, if you weren't involved in doing it, then it wasn't getting done. And so in a lot of ways that made Kevin and I really generalists. Mm. Um, we played lots of sports. Um, we did lots of outside activities and had a, a very full experience in that small town. And it really wasn't until I left Spearman that I realized um, it, it was a limited experience. You know, it was before the internet, it was before YouTube, so. Really if, not connected. Really not yeah. connected at all. If, if it didn't, if, if it wasn't in Encyclopedia Britannica or on, you know, a limited cable channel, we just didn't have any exposure to it which was fine. I didn't, it's one of those things you don't know what you're missing until right. you actually know what you're missing. But one of the things that I look back on my childhood and just what I would tell my 20 year old self, I would say, take more risks mm -hmm. because, um, there's really, there's no downside to, to failing failure. It's, it's all along a, a continuum of a timeline, you know, so you're the one that gets to decide when you call it a fail. Well, just never call it a fail, you know, keep swimming until mm. you make something out of it that you can point to it and say that was a win. And 
So just coming out of that small town environment, truly out of the small pond into anything bigger, we both came to Texas Tech. Kevin came first. I followed him. Okay. Um, so I didn't choose the school. I, choose, I chose the guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> that's worked out well for us, um, or at least for me it has. And, <laughs> I say, I bet you if he were on here, you would agree. Yeah, well, I hope so. <laughs> uh, so then I got an advertising degree and a Spanish degree at Texas Tech, and we had a good time here. Um, I worked hard so I could graduate the same time Kevin did. Cool. And then we went on to Dallas. Um, he got a job at a big six accounting firm, and I started law school at SMU. Okay. <clears throat> and then that led us back to deciding we both wanted to do law school, and we could do that too for the price of one at Texas Tech. Okay. So we came back to Lubbock, and I finished law school. I didn't know that here. part of your story. I was going to say, mm -hmm. I didn't realize you had a law degree from SMU, but you left, left SMU, left, and you all yeah. came back to Lubbock. So right, that's awesome. Yeah, so you've right. got all kinds of Texas Tech running through Oh, my you. goodness. We are <laughs> oozing. And we have fabulous Texas Tech heritage. Yeah. Both our parents graduated from Texas okay. Tech. All of our siblings graduated from Texas oh, wow. Tech. And when you go down Kevin's side, uh, all of his siblings married people who graduated from oh, Texas goodness. Tech. And their parents all graduated so from Texas Tech. not a lot of people uh, you know, rooting for other teams <laughs> no, when Tech's playing. No, 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 no. We bleed red and black in our house, that's and great. that is just fine. So Kevin and I always knew we wanted to be entrepreneurs. Just That's what our parents were um, doing that's lots cool. of things, wearing lots of hats. And that's definitely how we've made our life in Amarillo and Amarillo has been so good to That's us. Cool. Starting... And so did you go from, from Lubbock straight to Amarillo? Yes, yeah. we did. Uh -huh. We wanted to be close to our parents and we'd already gone off and done Dallas and um, we just were panhandle people. Yeah. We love the culture here, and we wanted to build something here. That's cool. Um, so that's that's what we did, and I can't believe time flies by. That was over 20 years ago. Yeah. And, uh, it happens fast, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. So how long have you been mayor? So I'm in my second term as mayor in my third year. Okay, that's awesome. And uh, it's been a great experience. Uh, exactly everything you thought it would be, harder or, you know, all of it. <laughs> um, I really it's I really had no expectations because I didn't see it coming. Yeah. So I didn't expect to be in politics. And um, we just saw a need in our community for some solid leadership with a positive vision. And our, our community was just really thirsty for somebody that would come in and, and speak hope over our our community, and so it was very scary to step into that arena because politics right now is, um, and maybe always, I don't know, it's a quite toxic environment. And so to ask our family to step into that, and people say to us all the time, man, I would never do that, I can't believe you would do that, why would you do that? And really the only reason that you can answer that is because I felt, we felt called um, by God to do that. Our faith is really important to us, and it's something we had prayed a lot about for our city, just to have strong, godly leadership mm -hmm. that speaks life over people, that creates an environment where everyone's viewpoint is respected and honored, even if it's not agreed with. And <clears throat> just in praying praying about that, the next thing you know, we felt called to step forward and be a part of that. Yeah. So that's on the hard days. That's really the only way that you can get through, get through and, <laughs> just, what you yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and justify it, you know, and it, you miss things. I miss things for my kids. And, um, so the cost is high. The cost of public service is high. And I just, I don't see how anybody could do it for their ego or to build their resume or even for the experience of it, even though that's worthwhile and enriching sometimes, 
I, I, we're, we're doing it because we feel called and we see a higher purpose. In yeah. It. Well, I think Amarillo is, and you know, really Amarillo and the whole region, um, are lucky to have you and, you know, for two cities of such significance in a region like Amarillo and Lubbock, uh, to have mayors like, you know, like Dan and like you, I mean, I, I think, um, I think, you know, I think we should be really grateful. And I think, you know, we think about looking back, you know, in the future, I think all of us, you know, will look back on this as, you know, just the fact that we're so lucky to have two really strong leaders in the Texas Panhandle at the exact same time, uh, leading cities. When you think about leadership as a mayor, like, what do you feel like your primary role, role and responsibility is as a mayor, uh, you know, and the leader of the organization in the way that y'all city government runs? Like, when you think of your role, what are the things that you think about in terms of your leadership? Mm. Um, the role of mayor is really the role of connector. So I might hear of this person doing this project, and then I'm out and about, and I see of this person who has this need, and next thing you know, they're connected because the mayor knew about it, and the mayor had contacts and relationships in that whole web of all things in the city of Amarillo. So <clears throat> that's really the primary role. Um, now, through those connections, the mayor can sometimes drive change, um, and sometimes it takes that. It takes that leadership to say, this is a problem, and we need to bring some people around a table who have different opinions, and let's start hammering out the solution for us in it. Um, I, I really think the at this point in time in politics, any elected official's role has got to be choosing that respect and honor culture development. Um, right now, we just live in such a culture of disdain where um, the only way to put your viewpoint forward is to destroy the people right. around you rather than be in an arena full of ideas. Um, we're just cutting off the legs of anyone who presents an idea that doesn't agree with us. And I don't know if that happens because of our insecurity or if it happens because we don't have the communication skills to actually put forth our idea in a way that we can convince and advocate others to join us. But either way, <clears throat> we have to have leaders who will step forward and will lead into the idea that we're better because we have different ideas and that coming to the table with an idea um, is just part of the process. And the idea gets better the more people that add on to it and the more fingerprints that touch it, mm -hmm. then it's a better idea. Yeah, um, so, so Has that been hard for you? Like, you know, coming from, uh, you know, kind of the business world and owning your own, you know, your own practice and your own business into an environment where really, you know, the whole is more successful when you are mm -hmm. more collaborative and more, I mean, has that been a difficult process? It's been very hard yeah. for me. Yeah. There's been a lot of growing just as an entrepreneur. We've always owned our own business, whether it was a hotel industry. We own My Place Hotels right. here, Amarillo. We have one in Lubbock also. Um, we have a downtown office building. Obviously, we make the decisions for that right. community as well. And then our law practice. So, yeah, that's that's been a skill that I've had to try and learn, and it's stretching me a lot. And then you combine that, too, just in the... You know, government is fairly inefficient. Um, bureaucracy is a real thing. There's a reason we have disdain toward right. bureaucracy and this, how it slows things down. <clears throat> so learning how to operate in that kind of environment with a larger team, and you have to operate under things like the Open Meetings Act, where I have a council of five people, and that means I can only talk to one other person unless we're sitting in the council room in front of everybody. Mm -hmm. um, so... It, it means you have to be a different kind of leader. You, you can't lead 
um, behind the scenes and then come together with it all presented nice right. and, and pretty, right. you, it has to happen ugly sometimes out there on the table. And then that leads to a headline and that's yeah. all kinds of social media <laughs> chaos. Yeah, and and sure. then you're dealing with the fallout rather than actually implementing a solution. So yeah. how you manage all of that time and energy what are some, is What are some of the things you've done to learn how to address that? Because uh, you know, I'm a complete control freak. So, you know, just like the, the challenge of, you know, really seeking out differing viewpoints and collaborating and different ideas I mean so um, like how have you nurtured that that new skill set in this in this particular position mm -hmm. um, I'm not naturally a communicator I'm an introvert by mm -hmm. nature Gosh. and so I, I I call Kevin laughs I'm a communications camel I can go a long time without feeling uncomfortable for touches or communications yeah. and so for me it is being intentional about communicating and so reaching out and trying to think around corners and think okay this is the problem I'm talking about today Day, but two weeks from now that problem is going to morph into this and involve mm -hmm. these people and so the sooner I can think and, and look around the corner communications wise and get them at the table um, and just the power of an intentional communication whether that's a text that says I was thinking about you today I know you had your big presentation to this group or um, saw this happening around town and know you've been working on that for mm -hmm. a year you know just sure. thoughtful that part of it is not hard um, it's the execution of finding time to actually make all those touch points. Um, when I was first elected mayor, I sat down with Betsy Price. She's um, the mayor of Fort Worth, and she's in her fifth term as oh. mayor now. So I just came with a list. I had a notebook page, a notebook page and a half full of questions, yeah. and she was so generous, gave mm. me an hour and a half of her time. And I just asked question after question after question. And one of the things I took away from that meeting, she said, the more you can be with the people you represent, the fewer problems you will have to manage. Uh -huh. And she's naturally an extrovert. So she loves being out and all the people, but she's right. The more time you spend just listening to people, then um, they tell you what issues are coming. And then you can begin to be intentional about getting people around the table, whether it's forming a task force or whether it's just inviting four or five people to come to lunch and say, let's talk about this openly and um, build some relationships around it. Communication is absolutely the key, hmm. whether it's happening publicly or behind the scenes. It's it's the currency of power these yeah, that's days. That's really good. You said something, uh, you know, when we first started that there's no downside to failure. And, and so one of my questions for you is how like you've personally handled failure. Yeah. So whether that's in your personal life or, <laughs> uh, you know, the private sector or, you know, as mayor, how have you tried or how do you personally on a day to day basis approach failure? So um, after serving the first year as mayor, it was a really hard year. A lot of learning curve for me um, personally, but a lot of learning curve too. just in the city. We turned over our entire council. So. All five of us were brand new, had wow. never had any city government experience, and our city manager was new. He'd only been on staff about three months. Wow. And so everything was new, Gosh. and it, nothing was in sync. And we, yes, we were stubbing our toe. It's sort of like, you know, when you first start to ride a bicycle, those first two or three turns, everything's wobbly. Mm -hmm. Well, that was what it was the first year. It was so hard. And at the end of the first year, I just, I thought, I need a better strategy for how we handle recovering from mistakes, how I recover handling mm -hmm. from mistakes and how we handle criticism. And so I just sat down and I wrote out a written strategy. So I have a mistake strategy. Mm -hmm. And at the top of it, it says, who am I and how does a person like me respond when I make mistakes? 
And so I just thought I, I need to have a, a plan for how I'm going to handle that because I keep making mistakes. And, and if I want to be resilient through them, I need to know what I'm going to do. And then I asked the same question about criticism. Who am I and how does a person like me respond to criticism? And so I have a written strategy for how I will respond to criticism. Mm -hmm. um, the mistake strategy is pretty short. It's just three points. The criticism strategy is eight or nine points <laughs> and much more difficult yes. to implement, actually. <laughs> That's very good. But one of my main takeaways from that criticism is that receiving criticism is a skill. And just like playing the violin or shooting hoops, you get better at it the more you practice it. And so it can, it can feel painful to practice receiving criticism. But it's just a skill hmm. and really and good. you're better at it the better you can receive it the better you are as a leader that's phenomenal that's really good thanks for sharing that how do you approach personal growth you got all these things pulling out you got children you got marriage you got you know private business you're mayor of a city uh, that's not a small city and you know so you have all these things uh all these responsibilities all these commitments so how do you uh, approach your own personal growth? How do you stay em empowered and inspired? Like, what's that look like for you? Yeah, um, I. Everybody says, well, you know, how do you keep balance? Blah blah. I don't. You know, it's so. <laughs> yeah. Let's just right there, right up front, especially for every woman who's in a leadership or working outside the home mom position. Let me just tell you, it does not happen. Only Linda Carter was Wonder Woman. There's no such thing as the perfect. It all happens in a balance. Um, so some weeks are better than others, and sometimes I get too little sleep, and then I have to try and catch up and all that. But I love reading. I devour books about mm. leadership, and um, my quiet time is really important because I am an introvert. I have to recharge on that. And so I'm not a morning person, but in this season of my life, my alarm goes off usually 4 30 4 o'clock in the morning yeah. yeah and it just because i have to have that time where i i pray and get centered and and just regroup um and, and reading the bible is really important for me and doing that so um reading those leadership books having my quiet time and making sure i don't drop if i drop balls which inevitably i do because sure. i have so many in the air not my kids and not my husband because I'm uniquely called to meet those roles and there's not, I can't delegate those. That's good. Thanks for sharing that. When you find yourself out of balance, which it sounds like is often, yeah. what do you, like, what do you do to rebalance to the greatest degree you can? I mean, it totally resonates with what you're saying. You know, maybe there is no such thing as balance, but when, how do you know, like what, what are the trigger points for you when you know, okay, I'm, I'm left or right of center here. So, you know, what are those trigger points? What do you, what do you do to kind of draw back to the middle? Yeah. Um, Sleep for me is, a is a big one. Yeah. So if I've been running several nights on only four hours of sleep, then I know I, okay, I've been I, running too hot. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So um, just sitting down, I'm a big list maker. And so I'll sit down and I'll say, okay, this is what has to be done. And then I feel better if I can see it on a list. I give myself permission to do it next week. Right. But it's just something about capturing it so I'm not afraid of losing it. Uh, so I know for some people, the list just becomes like an idol and they just get consumed sure. by it. For me, it's a great offloading tool. So when I feel overwhelmed, I will sit down and make a list and then I can divide it up, divide and conquer it. I can assign days to it and deadlines and then I, I'm better. That's good. 
Yeah, I think a lot of leaders uh, aren't self-aware enough to know when they are out of balance. And so they end up just like kind of living on a hamster wheel. And so mm-hmm. I, I love that approach. I mean, I, I think sleep is, you know, really, uh, you know, underrated. Right. And so that's I'm glad you brought that up. That's good. Mm-hmm. How do you like practically manage your time? Like you're, you, you sounds like you're a to do person. So you're a traditionalist mm-hmm. and you like pen and paper. You have mm-hmm. some fancy app that you use. Do you have an assistant that like kind of manages your schedule? Like how do you approach managing mm-hmm. time? given all the responsibilities that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm constantly trying new things because I efficiency is one of my core values. Okay. Um, so I hate wasting time. But really what it comes down to for me is I have designed my own form, my own day timer type form cool. that I print off and it's a week at a time and it's one page front and back. And usually at the end of my prayer time every day, I sit, make some notes on that, and I know how I'm going to attack it. I mean, I think everybody pretty much uses a digital schedule these days, and I have to because so many people touch my schedule um, and have access to it and help me manage it. So I run my calendar off my phone, but some events I do sit down and put onto that paper. That's cool. Um, Just mainly things like um, when I think I've got to have time to... Uh, read this book or read this report or summarize, like summarize my speech notes, things like that don't land on my digital calendar. They land on my daily yeah, to do okay. time frame, that's And it, cool. and that's, that time frame starts at 4 a.m. and goes all the way till 11 p.m. <laughs> and so, you know, like one day I counted, I had 18 meetings that day as the mayor. So some, not every day is sure. like that, but some but days are them. just bonkers. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's admirable. And uh, it's probably why, you know, a lot of people only do it two or three turns. It is true. Know? Yeah. At some point you just It's go intense. Like, you know. Yeah. And the thing about the mayor's job is it's just 24-7 and, um, you know, According to polling, 90 percent of people in Amarillo know who I am, and so wow. that was something that was unexpected for Kevin and I and our family. Was that Just to go anywhere? The notoriety, yeah. yeah, is it changes things, and so it means that we're serving when we're at the grocery store. We're serving at church on Sunday morning. We're constantly serving, and it's a joy. It really is a joy and a privilege. But I, it's, but you're human. And it can also yeah. be very difficult. Yeah, yeah. 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 Do uh. Um, do you ever struggle with like, uh, like the fact that 90% of people in your city know you, do you ever struggle with feeling the success too much or feeling the failure too much? I mean, because you can't hide. I mean, Uh unless you leave town, it's really hard not to be known based on what you just said. And so is that, you know, is that really hard to stay, to stay level, to not be too high or not to be too low at any given moment? because of all the activity and all the things happening to you mm-hmm. all at once? Um, you know, so right back to that criticism strategy for me, um, it's, there's constant reminders that I'm making tons of mistakes yeah. all the time. So um, I, I don't ever feel that important because um, I know how many mistakes I'm right. making. So I keep <laughs> a sign in my office from this last campaign. There was a, a very public group of people who put signs out all over town that said anybody but Ginger Nelson for mayor. Mm. And the first time I saw that sign, it was a real blow. You know, it was just sort of like Mike Tyson. Everybody's got a plan (laughs) until you get punched in the face. Right. You know, so um, uh, that first sign, the business owners like they don't have permission to put that out there. They're taking it down to put it in the trash. I said, hey, we put that in my car. Can I have that? They said, sure. And I keep it in my office now Mm. as a reminder to me that 
I'm not doing this for anyone's approval. And so if somebody thinks I'm doing a great job, that's nice, but it's not why I'm doing it. If somebody thinks I'm doing a terrible job, well, I'm disappointed to hear that, but that's not why I'm doing Mm -hmm. it. And my identity is not tied to it. The value of who I am as a person is not tied to some um, performance poll or a public opinion poll about what kind of job I'm doing. I want to pay attention to those things because I represent voters and voters matter, but my identity is grounded in the fact that I'm made in the image of God and Jesus died for me. And I know how the end of my story will go. I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. And so whether I fail today miserably as the mayor or succeed amazingly as the mayor, it doesn't change my value as a person. Mm-hmm. Nothing I do today is going to, or don't do today is going to make God love me any more or any less. And operating off of that platform gives me a tremendous amount of confidence and freedom as a leader to succeed, yeah. but also to fail. And yeah. one of the things I've picked up the most out of this, I don't know who said it, but somewhere it stuck with me that God allows you to be baptized by criticism in order to be inoculated against praise. Mm. And as a leader, you want to be right there in the middle, able to receive both, but not hindered by either praise or criticism. That's really good. Yeah, um, that's really good. I, I hate to move on from that because that, that it would be fun to unpack that. My, my last question for you is, uh, well, two more questions for you. So first one is, like, what, what, uh, who have been some of the biggest personal inf- influences on your own leadership? You mentioned that you love to read, so maybe it's an author or maybe it's a mentor you've had or, or maybe it's your parents. You, mm-hmm. you spoke a lot about them, but who, who are a few of those people who have had a tremendous influence on you? Um, absolutely. My parents, um, are a big influencers. I'm so grateful for them. They're still very involved in my life, but my husband hands down is the most impactful leader in my life. And the one who's taught me the most about leadership. And, um, there've been a couple of dark days, even serving as mayor one day. I I said, that's it. I quit. And he said, really, really, you're going to quit. And so just the way he challenges me, um, and his leadership and wisdom are really, really deep. Um, so, I just can't imagine where I would be without his leadership and the way that he um, challenges me and supports me and teaches me still. That's good. That's great. All right. What would uh, what would um, the ginger now who has experienced all this successes and, and losses? What would she tell uh, you know the ginger twenty years ago? Mm-hmm. What 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 would you what would you learn? Absolutely, it would be take more risks. Mm-hmm. Look for think higher, think bigger. Um, you know, you can come up with a plan and you think, wow, that feels dangerous or that feels outside my comfort zone. Well, growth only happens outside your comfort zone, mm-hmm. and so I think setting your targets higher. And being willing to only get to 80% of them still means that you are probably going to go further than if you just set that target where you thought you could achieve it at the beginning. And um, if you're not feeling vulnerable, you're probably not being used. Because if you're just relying on what you think you can accomplish, then you're cutting God out of the equation 100%. And it's only when you're way over your skis um, is he going to come along beside you and equip you to do a work you never dreamed you could do? And believe me, that is the small town spearman introvert Ginger Nelson saying, I never would have seen myself able to serve in this role. And it's so rewarding getting to work with the people. And it's so challenging getting to work with the people. But, um, I'm so grateful that God opened the door and gave us the chance to do it. Yeah, this is good. I really, really appreciate you uh, doing this and 
know you're super busy, so I'm really grateful you take time to be with Thank us. Thank you. I know y'all are busy too. I'm glad it worked. <laughs>